Hey, before we get started, this is a reminder that you're listening to a Voyager Radio production. Josh, what's Voyager Radio? It's us, two friends, Billy and Josh, Josh and Billy, who really enjoy making things and putting it on the internet. If you really enjoy us, if you like what we do, executive order, read the internet, anything like that, consider supporting us on Patreon. Proceeds from our Patreon help make this show and help fund all of our projects. We're even working on bringing a bookstore to our local community, and you can help that dream become a reality. Thanks for listening. Links in the description. Yeah, he got stuck in a bathtub, maybe, and... Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) We're going to tackle all that and more in this new podcast, Executive Order. James Madison, fourth president of the United States of America, father of the Constitution, and husband of Dolly Madison. So important. Okay. Like the sheep. Like, like, good God, like, reading this, that was my biggest takeaway from researching James Madison. And I knew Dolly was an important figure, but, like, she was... I've never heard of her. Really? Oh, man. So I'm very excited to get into that then. I thought you were being sarcastic. No. Like, I like Dolly a lot more than I... Most of my info is on James, don't get me wrong, but Dolly is... She's peak. I just thought you were being funny. Anyway, no, no yeah. James Madison. He was born on he was born in March of 1751 near Port Conway, Virginia, to James Madison Sr. Because they weren't that creative with names, and Nellie Conway Madison. My dad's name is Billy. Yeah, it's a problem. Granted, my dad's and my plant's name are Richard. I so. named your plant. You did. <laughs> Could have gone with Robert, but you didn't. But uh, yeah, this family his. The Madison family is old Virginian blood, like, all the way back to, like, to the best I can tell, near the founding of Virginia in the 1600s, very early. And tobacco farmers, like, the stereotypical Virginian crop. So he really is a lot of takeaways from that. He is everything you think about a founding father without being, like, he's the first one we've done so far that's removed from, like, the players don't get me wrong madison was just as important as just about anyone else but when you talk about washington and jefferson and adams like he's just like a small step below those i feel like Mm. i disagree with you but we'll we'll get into it yeah um when we're talking about steps below we can get into one of his most interesting facts James Madison was just a tiny little person like you just pick him up (laughs) look I'm tired of you six foot two individuals and your heightism. Listen, I'm six foot even. You're the one that can't even make it that far. <laughs> I'm so sorry. For the record, I'm 5'11", and that's a good height. It's yeah. a good height. Yeah, it's, it's average. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, he was five feet, four inches tall. And I, when I read this next part, I literally said, oh my God, out loud, the fact that he was probably never over 100 pounds again how we know that for sure because everything i read is like matter of fact like he was never over 100 pounds like how do you know did you do any research into his diet because i'm trying to lose 
about 100 pounds. If you get to 100 pounds, you will be hospitalized. If, if I sure. ever meet anyone that like healthily loses 100 pounds, I'm going to let them know they, they lost to Madison. Yeah, um, absolutely, because that I've never met anyone in my adult life, to my knowledge, that was under 100 pounds. That, that can't be safe. The interesting thing about Madison, and it kind of gets into his height a little bit, is like he's noted as being a very sickly person. You know, I mean, real quick before we get off his height, uh, I also wrote down the news five four, and then in parentheses I wrote small boy. <laughs> Weird. I... He's also um, he was the youngest one, and I'm sure you'll get into that. But when I when I paired that together, he was the youngest one at the Continental Congress, I should say. When I paired that with his height and his stature, I was like, so he he was like literally the baby of the founding fathers. Yeah, pretty much, and he really kind of was like like a child to Jefferson like he really mirrored Jefferson he was his sidekick in a lot of ways just like uh, Alexander Hamilton really was to Washington it was very similar kind of situation going on here where pretty much like that's where I got into research difficulties here is so many facts I looked up about Madison were actually like Jefferson adjacent and we'd just done an entire episode on Jefferson. So I didn't want to dive too deep into those. That's why. And we said we could have done a whole podcast series on Jefferson. Oh, for sure. So um, I think we'll have that problem until we get to like Lincoln. <laughs> maybe. But yeah, that's why a lot of things I did skip over in this research in lieu of things that I found more interesting. Just because like we, we've been over the Revolutionary Era to death. Um, the notable fact is James Madison was, like, the chief architect of the Constitution, you know? It's kind of odd because for a long time he fought to just add amendments to the Articles of Confederation, but eventually he is still the one that pretty much created the Bill of Rights. I mean, almost hands down, a lot of that comes into his political ideals. His learning, I think, had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, he didn't attend the same school as most Virginians did due, its, due to its location's climate being thought to harbor more infectious diseases, which is actually hilarious because he'd be known, you know, for being a very sickly man. He contracted malaria several times, many other illnesses. But I also do think him not going to that school, I wonder, because he's often noted also in all of my notes they paint him as a not a hypocrite a uh, hypochondriac like he would panic about everything so you get into the question of like was he actually sickly most of the time or just overreacting a lot of historians don't like they may have just considered him sickly because of his size like he's gonna look it definitely could have been like just uh oh what's the word i'm looking for uh like to use a really bad example, you know, our our parents said their certain feminine qualities about men, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a, a stereotype. So maybe him being small and sickly, or just being small was like a stereotype of sickliness. Like, they wanted these tall, broad-shouldered men. Yeah, and I do think it is probably a bit of that. I didn't look into his father's physical appearance or any of that. But again, I do think some of it comes back to just learned 
traits from his parents too if they didn't want him to go to that school because they were afraid he was going to get sick was that something that was embedded so that he also just always thought he was dying so uh, <laughs> Munchausen, Munchausen syndrome by proxy yeah I mean it, it happens right probably yeah. like there have been documentaries not oh, yeah. about Madison I mean yes there have been documentaries about Madison but not about him I... Munchausen syndrome by proxy yeah uh, for sure mm. Yeah, he, uh, he, although he didn't go to, like, the Virginian school, he did end up going to Princeton, where he studied Greek, Latin, a lot of themes of the Enlightenment era, which... I, I wrote that yeah, down, too. Yeah. Definitely filed a lot into his, his future here, because his future also, asterisks, like, he graduated in 1771. Yeah. That was just before things really heated up like there were already tensions at that point and i do think a lot of that does kind of lean lend credence to like his choose your words yeah i'm trying man to his achievements that's the one do lend credence (laughs) to his achievements you know like just getting out of college studying all these things like he even stayed after he graduated to uh study political sciences you know and that was just a passion of his you so know, going into i think he was kind of just destined to do what he did and i do want to just take a breath and again anything i say i'm sure that you get into um but you talk about him being really into the enlightenment and studying a lot about the enlightenment him being one of the co-founders of the uh republican democratic party or democratic republican party as it said the Democratic Republic. Yeah, the Democratic Republican Party. Like those guys, often referred to as the Republicans uh, for short, uh, were uh, big French fans. Like they, they liked the for, French for a long time. Uh, which is funny because you don't hear uh, about Republicans loving the French today. That's not yeah. not very common yeah. anymore. No, they pretty much just love Americans. For also, like that's the stereotype. On right? Democratic Republicans, we used to be together. Well, we used to be friends. No, we used to be, like, one party used to share both names. Yeah. Um, I just like the idea that, like, we fractured at some point. Yeah, very important. Political parties are a weird thing. Even during Madison's time, like, he both founded one of the parties and saw the the death of the Federalist Party. Like, that happened within his presidency. That's kind of why he won a second term at all. Yeah. Was a lot due to the death of his... And I'm not saying right or wrong, but it is, like, fun to imagine what kind of a different America we would have. Assuming, you know, I'm sure people have feelings about that where they're like, oh, if that had happened, America wouldn't still be here. I disagree. But, like, what would America look like had the Federalists won, you know? Yeah, very dread. I mean, I have that thought a lot myself, a subject that we'll have to do separately that I really want to is the real life of Alexander Hamilton, who very easily at one point could have become president. Again, you can get into semantics there of could he or couldn't he, but it's just as likely he did as it is someone like Madison or Adams become president. And then that's a vastly different world that we're in because something both uh, Madison and Adams similarly did is the choosing of their presidential cabinets, you know. Um, Madison's wasn't as disastrous as Adams, but uh, Madison uh, chose a party that he thought wouldn't further divide the nation and the politicians. And it was very largely ineffective, just like Adams, because of that. 
You know, he uh, they didn't get anything done. They weren't good. He actually had to basically serve as his own Secretary of State because the one he appointed was absolutely useless. Wouldn't do anything. So he had to be President and Secretary of State until he replaced him eventually. But, uh, yeah, that's something that he shares with our previous subject, John Adams. You know, someone that he was fiercely against. Now, one thing that, and and I, I kind of kept getting confused in my research, and maybe you know the answer to this, but it either started... Hey, before we get started... Hey, before we get started... An entire, like, series on the War of 1812 alone, not to mention the fairly unknown, like, Canadian-American War. Like, that's not something I knew. I knew about it recently, but it's not something you're taught in high school mm -hmm. or anything like that. The fact that to kind of, because you see, yeah, France and England were at war with one another, and by proxy, America was drawn into that, but none of goes us... goes back to what I was saying about the Democratic-Republicans. They were kind of in favor of the French in that war, yeah. and the Federalists were in favor of the Britons in that war. Not in favor, because they didn't like yeah. the Britons, but they like agreed with them on that. Yeah, and it got to the point where, again, Madison's redeeming quality as just a political figure was his ability to be a politician, to like kind of chastise both sides in a way that it didn't cause a massive argument or anything like that. So we couldn't just pick one side. Even if we could, it wasn't really an option in this. You know, I wrote down um, at one point that he was kind of a flip-flopper. Let me find this in my notes. Give me just a second. Um, <laughs> we need waiting music. Well, I wrote it down. I put an asterisk next to it, too, because I knew I'd want to get to this. Darn, that yeah. helped, didn't it? No, sure didn't. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, frequently changed his political views. Uh, he favored a strong national government at the Constitutional Convention, and then later he opposed the Bill of Rights, uh, which kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the strong national government. Uh, and then later he became the strongest advocate of the Bill of Rights after opposing it. So he, he does this sort of back and forth a lot. We call it flip-flopping today, and we use it as a pejorative, but like it's, it's a good thing to, to be able to change your mind. Yeah. Um, but the, the point being that I wrote wrote that down and thought like he kind of was running on the same platform that Biden ran on recently. It was like, I can kind be the middle. I, think, I, can, I can be the middle ground. He I didn't think, run on it, but he acted like Yeah, that. and I think kind of, but to a more effective degree. Madison was like, he was a master of like knowing what people wanted to hear and kind of playing into that. And he is the reason that the Bill of Rights got passed as easily as it did because he knew how to give people what they wanted without really offending them, you know? Like, he, at the end of the day, he was kind of more of a pacifist politician, if that makes sense. But he he knew how to work the system in a, in a, in a get-things-done kind of way. Again, without him, the Bill of Rights would look probably completely different, maybe even non-existent. Who knows? Because, again, he also he crafted the Constitution, not alone, obviously, Right, but it's funny because you can point to most of the people we've talked about already 
except for Washington as the person responsible for the Constitution. Yeah, pretty close to it. Yeah, Yeah. and it's weird. And it's always true also when you say, well, this person is the reason we have it. Every time it's been true pretty much, you know. They all take a a pretty big lion's share of the responsibility there. Yeah, but uh, we were talking about the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. I do have a few things that I wanted to get into there. I have quite a... I have a handful of things on that. So. Yeah, I didn't have a lot in there because, like I said, a lot of that I would like to save. And, again, we can go over. I'll let you do yours, yeah. and then I'll do everything I have on 1812, and then we'll move on to well, the next thing. Yeah, again, what you're not taught here is that, first off, you're not taught about the War of 1812 in elementary or middle school anyway. Maybe high school and then history at college at best. Really the, quick, my, my whole introduction to the War of 1812 is College Humor has a, a skit about it. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. And the whole like crux of the bit is nobody knows what this war is about. Like All the soldiers are like, wait, why are we fighting? Are we mad at the Indians? Are we mad at the French? I think it has something to do with this. Quick little uh, precursor fun fact. Uh, one of Teddy Roosevelt's first published books was The Naval War of 1812. It's boring as hell. <laughs> I don't feel like I like Teddy, and we'll get to him, but I don't feel like I would read a lot of his writing. No, his, <laughs> The Winning of the West, also not a page-turner. Yeah. But, uh... More yeah. exciting as a figure than, than a writer. Yeah, oh, I cannot wait till we get there. But, yeah, the, and the... We don't talk about The War of 1812, though, because we don't want to tell people that we lost The War of 1812, which yeah. gets debatable on its own anyway not only do we not want to tell people that now but at the time we saw it as a win yeah absolutely. like american citizens felt you know nationalism was on the rise after that yeah and it was really just an early like prototype really i guess not even a prototype just a variation of propaganda that made us even think we won in the first place mm-hmm. because the war was over before jackson's victory in new orleans in a way, it was over before it began because one of the reasons it started, and there are a lot of reasons you can say it started, but one thing that it's pointed to is some, uh, without getting too into it, let's just say some laws unfavorable to the U.S. passed by the Britons, some tariffs and some laws mm-hmm. on trade. And we launched into the war, so to speak, because of that, but they had actually rescinded all those uh, laws like weeks before we started the war, yeah. so like they did a thing, and they then, rescinded it. We and then we were like, we're gonna go to war with you because you said that. Yeah, and we didn't just go to war with them. We invaded Canada, yeah. often for that like, sweet molasses. Yeah, just like all of it too. Not even just like well, we're gonna invade this territory. No, he tried very hard, and this was Madison at the forefront trying to invade, and he really did think he believed that uh that the local militias were gonna take up arms to like take up arms for their still pretty new flag, you know. The British, they were distracted by their war with with France, so he thought, yeah, we're going to win this. Turns out, most of the militias didn't want to fight a war that they didn't really care about. So, you know, they just, they either mutinied or just didn't pick up their arms at all. Like, it it was really just, it was loss after loss. They avoided going through, what, that area in New York because they knew that, like, Americans were just not that interested in it. Yeah. So they, like, tried to bring the fight to where people were, like, more war-happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that happening today. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And if, if Jackson hadn't just so happened to, like, if Jackson had gotten word that the war had ended on time and not done the Battle of New Orleans, 
Madison would not be the man he is today. Like, we would remember him as a failure. But because of that, it really inspired, like, a renewed, like, love. And I don't know. I would love to know, like, at what point did we start... You can argue not not even yet, but at what point did we start to acknowledge all of these things about that war? And how long did we, like, hold up this charade that it was this big victory for us? Well, again... Oh... It is very, very similar, really, to Vietnam, which we also lost. Yeah, we don't talk about it that way. Yeah, you don't talk about it in school. You don't even call it the Vietnam War in school. This is very similar. We don't call this... We do technically call it the War of 1812. We talk more about the protests of the war than we do the war itself. Yeah, and this was a full-fledged, like, boots-on-the-ground war. A lot of people at the time called it the Second War for Independence because they thought if we lose, we might become British colonies again, like... They literally torched D.C. during this, which, oh, I don't know if I want to get into it now or when I start my tirade. Well, let me let me do my notes on 1812. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we have the War of 1812, which, like you said, was called the Second War of Independence, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was actually America's first declared war. So, like, the Revolutionary War wasn't a declared war. Yeah, we weren't a country yet. Yeah, and, so yeah. it's it's really the first war we had a whole declaration into. about it, neither here nor there. Yeah, um, and then it was, the, one of the most outlined reasons for the war was British capturing American soldiers, uh, but that's really complicated because a lot of the soldiers a lot of the soldiers on those American ships were British, and citizenship as its own was like a really loose concept. Yeah. The way most sailors showed their American citizenship back then was with like tattoos of bald eagles and stuff. So of course, as you do. Yeah, and, yeah, and and like Britain's, still true today. A lot of British people would like fake being American soldiers for all kinds of reasons. It, it was closer to pirates than it was for like, privateers. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's that's one of the main outline reasons, and then of course there was the reason I mentioned earlier about some some laws that we didn't like that were uh, anti free trade for us mm-hmm. uh, that were immediately rescinded, and then not really you know a good justification for the war. Another one uh, is that we had received word that the Britons were arming Native Americans and sending them to us, and they were most likely actually doing that. One of the chief people in, involved in that was silent nod was Chief Tecumseh, uh, and his brother, whose name I forgot to write down. It's very close to Chief Tecumseh, but most people called him the Prophet because he was like a religious leader and he was very much in favor of doing away with American ways of life and like. Is particularly not wanting to have anything to do with whiskey or like processed sugar, so he's basically just a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the same advice your doctor would give you now. Better than mine. Uh, and I want to take a quick aside to share one of my favorite Chief Tecumseh quotes of all time Absolutely. because it's, it's actually influenced a lot of my own personal beliefs. Really? Yeah. Um, he says, So live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart, trouble no know one about their religion, respect others in their view, and demand that they respect yours. Love your life, perfect your life, beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign or a salute when meeting a passing 
meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger, when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and uh, bow to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault is only in yourself. Abuse no one and nothing, for abuse turns the wise ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision. When it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Right on, brother. Happens to be Chief Tecumseh. Um, a long then, quote, but... It is, yeah, and yeah, I debated yeah, not putting it in yeah, there. You're not but, getting it tattooed on you anytime soon. No, I debated mentioning it, but... Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, you're still on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> if we just did the facts as we read on these episodes, would be like five minutes yeah. long. And I've, I've held this quote for years, way before we ever started researching this stuff. Yeah, and he's a good one to get on a little sub-tangent of. Like I said, some things, like the War of 1812, other things, they, it could go on for days. But that's a really nice, like... Yeah. And, and you covered basically everything else that I said about 1812, but I do want to add one little funny fact. Of course. Uh, during the War of 1812, there was a, a British seize of a town, and the Admiral George Cockburn oversaw the burning of the printing presses, and he told the forces... Be sure that all the seas are destroyed so that those rascals cannot any longer abuse my name because they're making a bunch of cop like jokes. It. It's literally like people at work keep bad-mouthing you so you just go around and take all the bees off the keyboard. So yeah, but they were like making just illy. penis jokes. Yeah. Cockburn. Like they were just making fun of the fact yeah. that he had a phallic-sounding name. And That's he was good. like... I, Now's my chance. <laughs> yeah, I love this thought that we just got inappropriate lately. Yeah, we've been the same forever. <laughs> yeah, like, like nothing is different about today than it was 200 years ago, except we just have tech now. Things travel quicker. So yeah. that we're the same people, always. Yeah. Oh, and then one more footnote on 1812. It's where we get the Star Spangled Banner from. Yep. That's when it was written. Absolutely, uh, it was. What's his name? Uh, Francis Scott Key. Okay, wrote it. Yeah, the bombs bursting in air. You know? The flag was still there. Yeah, it was yeah. still there. <laughs> we still got it. We changed it a little. I would bet we might still have it. It's possible. Look into that. Yeah, Google that for us. Um, I did note like one thing that if I don't bring it now, we might not get into it. You might have notes on it or not, but a word that pinged me in your big quote was religion. And did you look into Madison's religious views at all? Mm-hmm. Well, it is important to note that he was a member of the Anglican Church. Like, that's important to note. Because he was a staunch believer in separation of church and state. And he actually sought to dismantle the Anglican Church. Which is a hard word for me to say. I don't know why. Anglican? Is. Yeah. It's a yeah. weird word. It is. But uh, he sought to dismantle his own church really because in like a lot of that comes from the fact that his church had been throwing baptist ministers in jail for preaching without a license he believed strongly in the founding principle of religious freedom was willing to go to war with his church over it like he was just like that was a big reason why again some of that might come from his old virginian roots also like that's why his ancestors would have migrated was probably for religious freedom. Well, you know, a lot of the, you know, research, especially in these early episodes, because we're dealing with the founding fathers and the earlier ideas of America, we think about this time mostly as, you know, the founding of America. But really, there was just a lot of 
questioning authority and questioning everything. That's what the Enlightenment was kind of all about. Yeah. So, so these founding fathers are not only, you know, questioning King George and setting up a new government, but they're questioning their own faiths. They're questioning. They're they're tearing every aspect Absolutely. of life they've known down and rebuilding. And I would say none, almost more than Madison. Like I said, due to his strong, because more than any we've researched so far were his Enlightenment views and like. He probably had some to gain. Which makes sense because he was young and in college and that's what he was studying yeah. in college. Yeah, and if you match that to someone like Washington who was in it because like he felt obligated, like he had to do it. And then you had Jefferson, of course, which like sought to gain more than anything. Same with Adams. Like they both came out. Well, Jefferson was broke by the time he got up, but like Adams became like four times as wealthy after his presidency, even Jefferson, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. But with Madison, he really just believed in the enlightened path. You mm. know, like, he got that from school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. where I was going with that one. Yeah. He he, he was, uh, like all other founding fathers, a very strong-minded individual who had opinions. Yeah. <laughs> Capital uh, O sure. opinions. Like I said, and not afraid of it either, like certain people. Like, again, George, he wasn't a very open person, you know, neither was uh, John Adams. Like, they weren't open. That where is where we get into what we said earlier, where he really was, like, Jefferson's protege. His, uh, I have a little thing about that here somewhere. Yeah, I have a note here where I noted that he's... Madison is pretty much, he's like the textbook compared to Jefferson's visual dictionary, you know, like Jefferson was this very flamboyant kind of person. Um, he shared many of Jefferson's beliefs, just not his flamboyance or his charm. And on the other hand, he was the picture-perfect politician, really, and able to translate his ideas into, into practical... I can always cut it. Yeah. <laughs> able to translate his ideas into practical principles. That's hard to say together. Into practical principles, which made him a much better negotiator. Kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Neither That's... here nor there. Okay. Like, that was that was a large reason that he was able to get the bill passed, as I said earlier, the Bill of Rights passed, and he knew how to give people what they wanted. Can I pitch an idea to you in the middle of your rant? Sure. Okay. So, it's... A Star Wars fan fiction, but it's all the found like it's it's like the Revolutionary War, but with lightsabers. I thought about redoing Hamilton in space. If yeah. we're being honest, okay. I think it would work. Uh, that's Fantastic. ours. You can't take it. Yeah, trademark, yeah. copyright, <laughs> patent pending. Yeah, get it. But are you ready for the real rant? Yeah, are you ready? This is how my notes are written. Okay, and I'm totally okay with that. I can always censor you because yeah, yeah, theoretically. Well, I don't get inappropriate. I don't know what you're about to say. (laughs) But anyway, as I stated in the intro, James Madison, husband of Dolly Madison. She's the partner that everyone needs in life if they choose to have a partner at all, of course. You you can do what you want, you know. But she literally complimented every single one of Madison's short, (laughs) short, every single one of Madison's shortcomings. Shortcomings. Yeah. She was personable, she was social, energetic, she was absolute, or she absolutely set the model that all first ladies followed, like after her. She she set that tone. Um, She was also 
practically the first lady for Jefferson also, which is something I did not know until doing this oh, research, because Jefferson was a... Oh, well. Jefferson was a widow by the time he went into office. So by the time she and James made it to the White House, she was well-practiced already. This woman and her social abilities are so largely responsible for the freaking Lewis and Clark expedition. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. She almost primarily through hosting parties and helping convince others to donate, she almost single-handedly funded the Lewis and Clark expedition. That's uh, a lot cooler than Nancy Reagan's drug war on drugs. Yeah. They don't, and well, Michelle Obama's war on cafeteria. <laughs> the war on food. Yeah, uh, as you said, while the British burned Washington to the ground in 1812, James Madison, with his cabinet, fled the city, and Dolly stayed behind to rescue the portrait of George Washington that we all know. Um, She got it from the burning presidential mansion, which afterwards would be painted white and named the White House, which maybe she came up with. I didn't find that, but I'm led to believe so. Something she realized at that moment was that portrait was really as much of a symbol as anything to the new country, you know. After James' presidency, she was also awarded an honorary seat on Congress so that she could watch the debates from the floor, which is just a crazy notion for, like, such a sexist time. Yeah, women, remember, could not vote for, like, however many more years between yeah, then and now. Yeah, and she was allowed to have, like, literally her hundred years. seat yeah, on the floor just because she was that loved. Yeah. Like, all, she was, in my opinion, more loved than James himself. Like, I I don't know if that's I'm ashamed for not knowing more about her. Yeah, she's great. She was also, just a little fun fact to kind of head it off here, she was also chosen by Sam Morris to be the first private citizen to send a telegraph. Fun fact. Yeah. She was the first. How cool would it be to own that? I don't yeah. know that it exists, but like... Yeah, it, it might. If it does, I'm sure it's in a Because she was already clearly very famous at the time. If they were smart, she put it away. And then she did die in D.C. at 81, which is up there. Yeah, that's a long time, especially yeah, she, for then. She is, in my opinion, the best first lady until we get to Truman. And then that's a whole nother rant. S- stay tuned. That rant will be twice Truman as had long. secrets. Yeah. <laughs> It will absolutely be twice as long as that little note. And that was my, my notes on Dolly Madison. She did a lot more things that I do encourage you to look into and read about. Maybe we'll do another episode on first... Maybe we'll do another series on first ladies. Yeah. The real executive order. Yeah. Uh, well, you know... Executive orderess. Because, again, you did no. see, like, a good relationship, you know, between George and Martha. You know, Martha would entertain the parties, and George was also noted as having... You know, we're going past it. <laughs> That's just in the background. But, uh, like, George was noted as having more fun at Martha's tea parties than he did, like, his guys' nights. Yeah. But uh, Martha was still, like, very old school, you know, very posh, very, like, no, that's... Like she did, she wasn't as exorbitant as Dolly was. Like Dolly was a very, like I said, just ecstatic person. I like, don't know if exorbitant's a word. It, it is a word. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I said I don't know if it is. I don't know. <laughs> do you have any more on Madison himself? Yes, you do. Uh, well, we've gone uh, over most okay. of it. A lot of it's stuff that's kind of out of place at this point. We I, we're because. We got to talk about his final mission also. I don't know if you have anything about that. The nope. last thing he tried to do that he desperately wanted to do 
is uh, he wanted to prolong his life just long enough to die on the same day as Jefferson, Adams, and Monroe, who all died on July 4th. Oh. Alleged. Sounds a little sketchy, but... Yeah, I wonder if that's like propaganda. But yeah, that, that, that was his goal. Um, as he was dying, he was getting like more and more frail. His doctor offered stimulants, which he did refuse. He didn't want to artificially live till then. Like He didn't want to be like the revolutionary like era vegetable, you know? I don't know that you could say that. <laughs> Can I? That's a good question. I should look into that. Um, but yeah, he, he wanted to live on his own, you know. And ultimately, he failed that attempt, dying instead on June 28th. Damn. Yeah. Real close. Yeah, real close. And I guess that leads us into our now ongoing segment of the last words. final words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say that. Oh, let me find. Yeah, after he was president, um, and after the War of 1812, there was a post-war euphoria that lasted a decade. Madison's final war ushered in a time of peace and prosperity known as the Era of Good Feelings. I read that, yeah. yeah. Very hippy-dippy. Uh, very very, yeah. <laughs> but, very uh, Era of Love. Yeah, so I, I wanted to interrupt you before you get it, got into a step to say that, but ideally that's the order it would be in, but yeah. here we are. So yeah, I feel like there's an executive order to this. <laughs> Uh, the show called Executive Order is unorganized. That's yeah, kind of funny. Pretty much so. Well, we tried it. It didn't work out. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to remind you about him being a flip-flopper before I read his final words Absolutely. about how he changed his Anything politics Anything you want to get into, now's literally the time. Nope. Just remember, remember earlier I said that, yeah. that he was a flip-flopper. His last words, he died six days before uh, his 60th anniversary of the nation's birth. Not his. The 60th anniversary of the nation's birth. As Madison's family gathered around his deathbed, one of his nieces noticed a shift in her uncle's expression. When she asked if he was all right, he responded with his last words, nothing more than a change of mind, my dear. Yeah, and I actually, when I read that, I tried very hard to look and find what anyone thought that meant. If there were some other context, I couldn't find it, so I'm left to my own ideas is I'm wondering if that because he was desperate to live till the fourth I wonder if that was a reference to that he was like nothing more than I've changed my mind I wanna, yeah I yeah. want to die now and not yeah. then man how how Byronic of him yeah. yeah yeah and it does like you said with the flip-flop too it kind of fits into that narrative. yeah I thought it was very yeah. poetic for for what we know about yeah him. absolutely and, uh, yeah, so that is our episode on James Madison. Probably one of the shorter ones, but like I said, when you compare him... 38 minutes. Yeah. Well, I'll cut some stuff. Yeah, but when you compare him to, like I said, like Washington and Adams and Jefferson, to me, he just doesn't meet that same... Again, he's up there, for sure. Every president is a president, yeah, you know, and, like they're worth talking Yeah, about. from here on out, it gets a little bit more exciting, I think, because Madison is also the last one that, like, most people could probably name him as a president. Mm -hmm. After Who's the, next? Next is James Monroe. Monroe. He's, yeah, he's the man that told the colonial powers to quote-unquote stay away with the Monroe Doctrine. It kind of complicated. Oh, and, hear more about yeah. it. You'll have to tune in next time. Oh, it's way less exciting than it sounds. Well, you're supposed to lead them in with it. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> They'll listen. <laughs>